everybody, and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and joining me today to break down the latest U.S. men's national team roster, the first of World Cup qualifying, is a fellow who's ready to banish the demons of Kuva, to forget about the last time we tried to qualify, and instead focus on the happy, hopefully happy future. It's Joe Lowry. Hi, Joe. We have a roster. Oh, I'm so, Taylor, I am so ready to banish those demons. I don't think I have the power to actually do that, but uh, if I did, <laughs> believe me, I would have. I probably would have done it a long time ago. <laughs> this roster is, it's a good one, it's an exciting one, and it, it signifies something greater and hopefully a, a larger shift or maybe the, the biggest moment of the shift we've kind of been seeing since 2017. I'm, I'm, I'm pumped, man. Joe, you have been expens- expensing exorcism lessons for like the last year now, oh, and crap, I assumed that? that that was uh. to get rid of the Kuva demons. Is that not what's been happening? Has that just all been fraudulent? Unrelated. No, those are uh, unrelated <laughs> expenses, Taylor. We can talk about this later. <laughs> All right, that's fair. That's fair. So we have a 26 player roster. We'll, we'll instead talk about that. Uh, the game day roster remains only 23 players, but I think Barhalter wanted depth, wanted to be able to cover for injuries, but also probably wanted to get looks at a couple different names and faces. Joe, we're going to break down the roster by position. We're going to talk about some omissions. We're going to answer some questions. But the first thing I wanted to ask you is basically what were your initial thoughts when you saw this roster? I will say for me, it was a strange combination of like about what I expected, but also still surprising simultaneously. Yeah, no, same here. Like the, the first name I was, I was really surprised to not see because the goalkeepers are, are pretty chalky, right? Pretty standard. But the first name I didn't see was Reggie Cannon. And I thought, man, that's a yep. little bit strange. And there were a couple of those other ones. And so I, I sat and thought about it for a, minute, uh, for a minute and scrolled through Twitter a little bit. And there's a lot of logical explanations and some people just theorizing, but a lot of things that make sense as to why certain players were omitted. That's not to say that I entirely agree with this roster, but I tweeted this out. It's hard. To, it's hard for me to find real things to complain about. I can split hairs. We can split hairs. And there are some people who have real passion and, and, mm-hmm. and are not as uh, ambivalent about some of these things as I am, maybe. But overall, I, I think this is a strong squad with, as you said, Taylor, maybe a couple surprises here and there. Yeah, I I agree with everything you said, Joe, because there are definitely going to be folks out there who have very strong opinions about certain players. I'm going to assume Julian Green's father wanted Julian Green to be on this (laughs) roster. Like, and so I don't begrudge people that. I just think it's worth acknowledging that, like, not everybody feels that passionately about certain players. And there's not an overall conspiracy if your player isn't selected. I do understand why maybe people were confused why, say, there was no Yunus Musa. But I think there are, in a lot of cases logical explanations or at least semi-logical explanations but we'll talk about those later uh joe let's talk about the roster instead as you said uh goalkeeper pretty straightforward we've got three of them it's ethan horvath it's zach stefan and it's matt turner uh i would say no complaints i'm assuming no complaints for you no complaints and i think the most interesting thing about this position group is not actually any of the players themselves it's what Baralter said about it, talking mm-hmm. and saying to the media that they're still going to have to figure out who that starting goalkeeper is for Thursday. And maybe he knows. Maybe he knows who's going to be in net against El Salvador, and he's just not telling people. Or maybe he's kind of in a similar place to a lot of folks out there and not really being sure who the number one is. In my mind, and I think in yours too, although correct me if I'm wrong, it's Matt Turner. And we saw reasons for that in the Gold Cup, and we've seen it in Major League Soccer for years now. But it's interesting to see Berhalter maybe step a ha- take a half step back away from Zach Steffen and think about this this position in a little bit of a broader sense. Looking at because I was on that call and I'm looking at uh, my like shorthand notes for all the questions. He was pretty cagey. He didn't really commit mm. himself to anything, including Christian Pulisic. He talked about him being day to day. We have to wait and see. And to your point, Joe, about the goalkeepers, uh, he said we're in a very good spot. And he talked about the strength of the position and then did 
kind of confirmed that he'd be making a decision by Thursday. He may have even said on Thursday, but that feels like maybe leaving it late. I do think there's a lot of like uh, competition, basically. I think there's a lot of players that will come in and it's somewhat open. Maybe it's 50-50. It could be either one. Maybe it's a person has an edge, but they haven't like earned the spot outright. And I think we're going to see people earn spots and also not earn spots uh, as we go through camp and as we go through qualifying. But I am uh, on board uh, Matt Turner starting until he shows us he shouldn't or until Zach Steffen shows us he should. Uh, Joe, anything else about goalkeepers? I don't think so. Should we move on to the back line, Taylor? Yeah, you want to run us through our 10 defenders? <laughs> I would love to. So we can kind of split this up into the different position groups. That's not how the roster was dropped, but that's what I'm going to try to do. It gets a little bit fuzzy in certain places, but looking at the right back, looking at the, the right back group first, Serginho Dest is on there and DeAndre Yedlin is on there. Those are the two real right backs on this roster. As I mentioned earlier, no Reggie Cannon. On the left side of the back line, George Bellow, which was a little bit of a surprise to me, although maybe it shouldn't have been given where Sam Vines is at in his professional career right now, just recently making the move over to Belgium and also not starting in that Gold Cup final against Mexico. That's the game that Bellow did start. So you got George Bellow and then Anthony Robinson as the two left back options with Dest obviously being able to play over there as well. And then the glut of center backs, John Brooks, Mark McKenzie, Tim <laughs> Ream, Miles Robinson, James Sands, and Walker Zimmerman. Tim Ream being the only player, I believe, on this roster who is older than 30. And I think I saw Greg Velasquez tweet out that he's actually closer in age to Burhalter than he is to any of his teammates on this roster. So he is certainly the elder statesman in a pretty strong group of defenders, Taylor. Yeah, and I think that is a big reason why he's there. He is the elder statesman. He has a ton of familiarity with Greg Berhalter, and we've seen in the past, we've seen them conversing on the sidelines when Reem isn't coming on as a sub. He's there sort of giving input, and they're having conversations about what should be done tactically, and I think Reem is a player that Berhalter seems to appreciate for that veteran presence, but I think also for his ability to communicate with the team and relay instructions and just keep things balanced. That's why he is a name that I was sort of surprised by and not surprised by simultaneously. Uh, I did then wonder with the number of center backs, I think there's two different ways to look at this. One is that we'll see some experimentation with maybe we'll see Tim Ream going back to left back, but then being a left center back, or maybe we'll see other people asked to do different things, but more likely, and it's a question we got a lot. We can talk about it an hour later, Joe, uh, is will we see a back three? And I feel like having six center backs in camp tells me that we almost certainly will. Oh, yeah. And and we might as well just talk about it now, right? I think right. it is, it's relevant to this particular position group. It's also relevant to the midfielders because yeah. there's 10 defenders and there's five midfielders in, in the lines are blurry and positions are blurred and all that good stuff. But yeah, I mean, the personnel is here to run a three at the back shape and also having the flexibility and having the defensive core to be able to swap from a back four to a back five or a back three, either way to swap from two center backs to three presents opportunities for Berhalter to rotate his team and to to get different looks with his personnel and just to give guys rest, which is going to be so important in this three-game window. It's, I think, what, Thursday, Sunday, Wednesday? So that's, it's three games pretty close together. Being able to swap shapes, which we've seen him do before. We saw him do it in the Gold Cup. We've seen him do it in the past as well is a weapon tactically, but I think it's also a weapon in terms of getting these players rested and ready for the next game. And that's going to be maybe the most important thing of this particular and and really all of these World Cup qualifying windows. And Berhalter was asked about what rotation will look like, how often he will rotate, what he kind of plans to do from game to game. 
And it was telling to me, we got that question a lot uh, ourselves when we put up the call for any questions you have. Kevin Smith was the one that I wrote down. He said, uh, what do you think our rotation looks like over these games? And I would go with what Berhalter said, which is basically, we want to win all three of these games. And we plan to be competitive in every single one. And reading between the lines then, I think that means that there will be some rotation. But I don't think we'll see it as like Tyler Adams on the bench for one of these games. I think if a player is fit and ready to go in their first choice, I think he's going to go with them. So we'll certainly get some rotation, but I don't think it's going to be like completely different squads from one game to the next. Uh, Joe, one thing I I do think, and maybe I'll start building this argument here. This is my theory, at least, and I'm not saying it's based on anything he said. Uh, it's just like looking at this roster and looking where the semi question marks were for me. I'm really coming around to the idea that he at some point is going to go with more of a three, four, two, one. And I think mm. that deals with some of the lack of depth we have in certain areas. And I think it also addresses some of the lingering concerns we have about the squad as a whole. And so Uh, I'll kind of go through it as we go through the roster. But here, I think if you go with that back three, we have the six center backs. But more to the point, like looking at the like outside back options, it is really strange to me that it's DeAndre Yedlin as the only like like right back dedicated right back. There's no Cannon. There's no Shaq Moore. And then on the left side, there's Dest, there's Robinson, and there's Bellow. And so maybe that is the case that it's Yedlin and Dest, but also maybe it's the case that it's Dest, Dest on the right and Robinson or Bellow on the left. But then I could see another permutation in which it's basically he's putting more attacking players into those wingback spots. And we had the question, could it be Conrad De La Fuente? We'll talk about that later. But I think it does let him be really attacking in, in the wide positions and then still have a ton of defensive cover by having so many center backs to choose from. So that's the start of my feeling that we might go with more of a 3-4-2-1. I think his default is going to continue to be the 4-3-3. But Joe, I could see some wrinkles in here, basically. I could as well, absolutely. And James Sands is another clue yep. there too because he's played in that center center back role mm-hmm. for NYCFC and he's done it for the national team as well at the Gold Cup. There's, I, I really do believe we'll see that for at least one game, if not more. I mean, the idea of of having a double pivot with some of these midfielders here. I mean, exactly. you could have Acosta and Adams next to each other. You could have Adams and McKinney, which I believe was the the Nations League final midfield two, right? If I'm not, I, I could be having some cross lines here, but the personnel is there to run that shape and it doesn't really have to change a whole lot of the spacing or the positioning. It's not this tactical overhaul. The outside defenders are still going to get forward and the, the cover they have behind them, like you mentioned, Taylor, is a little bit different, but the, the attacking wingers are still going to pinch inside and they can rotate out wide and do all that good stuff, but they're still going to have these detailed positions to be in and to occupy that won't look wholly different from the 4-3-3 shape. So yeah, I think Berhalter's comfortable enough with that back three at this point that I'd, I'd be surprised if we saw it. And so, if we didn't see it, excuse me, I said that wrong. I'd be surprised if we don't see it more so than I'd be surprised if we do see Yeah, Joe, I'm glad you mentioned the Nations League final. I just went back in my notes and found it. Here is your starting 11 from the Nations League. Back three of McKenzie, Brooks, Ream. All three of them are here. Uh, A midfield of sorts, four of Yedlin on the right, Dest on the left, Weston McKinney and Kellen Acosta in the middle, and then Gio Reyna, Josh Sargent, Christian Pulisic. Suddenly, I feel like we've kind of got an answer there as to one, one of the different looks because... All 10 of those outfield players are in this squad on this roster, and I have a feeling what worked in the past will continue to work and will continue to be tried. As much as we want to see 
experimentation. We want to see more and more young players being brought in, right? I mean, that's the feeling I always get after doing our Americans Abroad review shows is, man, I wish we could get a look at this guy. I wish we could get a look at Joe Scally with the national team. Or last season, I wish we could get a look at Chris Richards with the national team. And Richards has, a, in my view, a much stronger argument than Scally, and he's one of the guys I'm actually really bummed not to see. But it's hard to argue with the fact that Brawlther is relying on players that, one, he knows and he's comfortable with, and two, and more importantly, players he knows and is comfortable with and have actually had success and lifted trophies with this team this summer. You can say, man, Yedlin's not as, as a complete player as Reggie Cannon, or you can say that Chris Richards is a better player than Mark McKenzie, and I think maybe both of those things are true. But it kind of doesn't matter because it's hard to argue with the fact that Brawlther has his formula and it actually has been working. Yeah, because I think you're always going to be able to look at players, and if you're looking for one player to do a thing a certain way that another player can't, like, you can find those. You can compare them and say, Mark McKenzie or Chris Richards does this so much better than John Brooks even does. But maybe that's not necessarily a thing that Burhalter needs or requires or wants that player to be doing. And and maybe I'm being overly charitable. I think there are other reasons why other players aren't on this roster. We'll talk about them when we get to the omissions. But I, I, I agree with you that I think even if we're going to have that debate about, like, should it be this guy or that guy? Or is he as good at this as this guy is at that? Like, I think fundamentally it goes back to Burhalter is trusting the people who he knows can get the job done and who have gotten the job done. And to be fair, if he brought in a wholly experimental team with a ton of unproven players and we're going to figure it out as we go. There's going to be a huge backlash to that because yeah. we're starting World Cup qualifying. We're not supposed to be experimenting anymore. We're not supposed to be figuring things out. And will this work? We're not sure. I think we're going to see the foundation that has been laid be expanded upon, but it's still going to rely on that foundation. Agreed. Yeah. And we got, we, right. we still get our little taste of a, a newbie yeah. of sorts with Conrad, even though he's been involved with Baralthur's US before. He's, he's teasing us just a tiny bit and, and bit. leaving us wanting more, Taylor. A little bit. Uh, we should, we should finish out the roster. We got sidetracked there. Uh, midfielders, we've got five. Tyler Adams, hooray. Kellen Acosta, hooray. Sebastian Legette, Weston McKinney, and Christian Roldan. Everybody gets a hooray. I just didn't feel like pausing every <laughs> single time. Uh, and, and Joe, yeah, I think I, I kind of forgot that Kellen Acosta started that game against Weston McKinney. And that is where I was coming from again with that 3-4-2-1 is we've always had that concern about what happens if Tyler Adams can't go. There's no one who can really replace him. There's no one who can do that single pivot, cover the distance, be good at the vertical passing, carrying the ball forward, common in possession, good in defense. Tyler Adams really is that unique player. But if you don't need him to be that unique player, then you can just kind of continue to utilize him if you want to, but also it makes us less dependent on finding a replacement if and when. Instead, you can go with a midfield pairing that can do the defensive side of things, but also facilitate attacks as well. And so where I think some people might be frustrated by Legette and Roldan being in there and not having a, t a ton of creativity on the ball through that midfield, I'm not sure that's what Burhalter is looking for from his central midfielders. I mean, ideally, you'd have that stuff, right? But I don't know that there's a massive amount of it present in the pool right now. Gio Reyna is probably the highest upside number eight that the U.S. has, and he's also the highest upside, maybe next to Christian Pulisic, you know, winger that the U.S. has. So you can't can't always have your cake and eat it, too. I think this—I don't have any issues with this midfield group. I'll just say that. I don't think Christian Roldan is this world beater, but he's been a part of effective U.S. teams and effective MLS teams in the past. Legit does some things really well. is limited in other ways. The same thing is true for every single player. I think this midfield group could work out really well in a double pivot. I think it makes a lot of sense in a midfield three as well with Acosta or Adams at the six and then uh, McKenney and Legette or McKenney and Roldan or any of those guys as eights. I I can nitpick here. We can all nitpick, but I've got nothing to complain about. 
Yeah, and 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 to your point about Roldan for a moment, I, I think that that's a good example of where Berhalter wants players that have familiarity with certain responsibilities, with certain things that he has asked them to do in the past, because the way I sort of see him building this team and then preparing them tactically is almost that he has a shorthand now. And if he needs Roldan to do these three things that he's done before, he can kind of just tell him to do those things. That's a known, and then you can gamble elsewhere. That way you're not having to get everybody on the same page as quickly as possible. You already have some people on the page that you need to get to, and so you can then focus on bringing other players into that one while still having a level of consistency that you need. So I'm with you. I think the midfield makes sense. Let's talk about the forwards, because there are eight of them, Joe. That's a lot of forwards. That is a lot of forwards. I'm going to start on the wings, and then we'll look at the number nine. Brendan Aronson, mm-hmm. Conrad De La Fuente, Christian Pulisic, Gio Reyna, and Tim Weah are those wider options. And then the three center forward options, as I see it, is Jordan Pifak, Ricardo Pepe, who is a big one, and then yep. Josh Sargent. The, my takeaways from this roster, Taylor, after I sort of scanned through everything, it, it really was Pepe, right? Having yep. this commitment is a huge part of... It was a huge part of this announcement. It was a huge part of the MLS All-Star game last night and all the news surrounding that. And I think it's it, it really is great to see him involved with this group. All right. Can I tell you my, my theory about Ricardo Pepe and everything that went down? Please. This is – there's probably already an article out there that completely debunks this. But this is my <laughs> sort of reading, again, between the lines and taking some quotes that I've seen and applying them here. I have a feeling that – it was a sort of known thing that the U.S. were going to call him in and he was going to accept it. And there was maybe a realization that if that happens, these are woke-up qualifiers. Even if he plays all three, he is not officially cap-tied, but I think he would then have to like sit out for three years before he could file his one-time switch. So I think for Mexico, there was suddenly a, like, it's now or never. And I think there was maybe a last-ditch effort to just try to persuade him to make sure he was fully committed, that, like, if L3 came in and made him an offer, would he accept it? Would he even consider it? And I think that's where some of the reporting, some of the spin maybe last night was coming from, was a, a sustained effort to try to see if they could turn his head. And a big part of that argument goes to Greg Berhalter in this press conference basically saying, we have been after Ricardo Pepe. Uh, we've been talking to Ricardo long before Mexico got involved. And that is true that he's been involved at, at youth levels for a very long time. But I think this was always a we're calling him in. He's going to be in this squad. I don't think this was a uh oh, Mexico might want him too. So we're going to take him. I don't think that was the primary motivation, at least. And I think it was Mexico kind of last minute trying to see if they could still potentially get him on board. And when they couldn't, so be it because we did. And I'm happy. Well, I'm so curious, too, because... I mean, I'm not sure Pepe, if everyone's healthy, is on this roster. Taylor, you've got Giassi Zardes and Daryl Dike who are both out with mm-hmm. injuries. I almost, I think Zardes is a shoe in if he's healthy for yep. this group, and it's either Pifak or Pepe that drops. And if DK is healthy, maybe that's another conversation. He wasn't especially good in that Gold Cup, and obviously yeah. dealing with an injury towards the end of that tournament. So there's a reality in which it's not Pepe on this roster. At least I don't think so, based on merit. But the stars kind of aligned in a really weird way, and I'm not wishing injuries on anyone, of course. But the fact that Pepe's in this group means more for the future, I think, than it does for now. And I I think the rest of this this particular roster is strong enough to get good results over the course of this window that I'm okay with this slight dip and and slight look ahead down the line to the future. I think I saw a question about that in response to the tweet you posted, Taylor, about, you know, is Pepe a player for now that we can expect to contribute in this window or is he, you know, someone further down the line? And I, I fall into the second category a bit more, but that does not dampen or lessen my excitement in any way for him being included on this roster. 
uh, yeah, I agree with all of that. I think I lean on the side of I think he's on this roster kind of no matter what. Because I think you're right that Zardes would have been here if he were fully fit, but I think that does come at the expense of PFUK. And then it does beg the question of what if Daryl DK were fit, but I think the bigger question would be what if Daryl DK had like set the gold cup alight? And then it's much more of a, well, now we've got Sargent who's doing some things and we got to get some looks because we haven't seen him or at least didn't see him in the gold cup. If DK had tore it, tore it up, then it would be like, and, he, and we know what he can do. So, and we've got Giassi Zardes, like, do we need Ricardo Pepe in this team? And I still think even there, he might have been brought in as a 26 player, or maybe they would have gone 27, who knows, uh, just to kind of get him looks and see how he fits into the squad with an eye towards the future. But I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's basically Pepe in there. It's Zardes instead of Pifuck. And then if it had been, uh, Daryl DK, t- like setting the world alight, then I think there's still Pepe involved in the conversation, maybe just not getting as many minutes. I do think he'll play in these games. I don't n- think he will start. I think it will be Josh Sargent starting at least that first game. Maybe he gets a start here. Maybe it is Pepe who gets a start. But I would say Josh Sargent is going to start the majority of these three games. I totally agree. I think there's a good chance he starts all three of them, especially yeah. because... He's not likely to play a ton for Norwich over the weekend because we have to think about these games in less of Mm -hmm. a three-game window and more of a four-game window because all these players, or at least most of them, will have games with their clubs on Saturday or Sunday. Then they'll come down and play against El Salvador on Thursday. So it's it's a tight schedule. And Sargent, he's young, number one, but also he won't have as many miles on his legs from the weekend. So that makes him a really strong contender to start all those games. PFOC, I think, makes more sense off the bench. So there's a good chance that Pepe does get one or or maybe just picks up minutes somewhere else. But man, it's great to see Greg Berhalter continue to prioritize recruiting to national players and bringing them in, showing them what U.S. soccer is about or what it should be about and showing them what the environment around this U.S. men's national team program is right now. Yuli Narajo uh, reportedly was also called up and decided not to attend, still trying to figure out what his own national team future looks like. But the effort is there, and I think Greg Berhalter and, and company deserve a lot of credit for that. Yeah, and and then when you remember that it's not just Pepe, it's also Dest, it's also Musa. He's doing all right in the recruiting department, and I think U.S. Soccer is doing a good job of keeping tabs on players. Uh, one of those players I just mentioned, Yunus Musa, is not in this squad. We had many questions about him, and I believe it's as simple as he picked up an injury to his leg. He remains out with that injury, slash is only just coming back, so hasn't played, doesn't have the match fitness. They want to leave him with his club to get that kind of... Uh, fitness under control to get the injury under control and then he can play. So that's why we have no Yunus Musa. Joe, any other omissions? There are, there are a few that I can think of that probably need to be discussed. Yeah, yeah. I think we, we've mentioned a couple of them already. Sam Vines was one I was curious about over uh, him not being in over George Bello. He's with the new club. I think that explains that. Luca De La Torre, I've seen people talking about and I'm, I'm kind of with him. I think Luca De La Torre is a really nice player. He doesn't have a lot of familiarity with Berhalter. I think he's been brought in once under under this current U.S. men's national team regime. So I think that explains a lot of it. He decided not to come to the Gold Cup, if I remember correctly, and stay with Heracles instead. Julian uh, Green, maybe not involved as much at this point. Uh, Chris Richards is another one that we talked about. Uh, not a ton of involvement under Berhalter and doesn't have that familiarity. There are a few others, Taylor. Which ones did you have your eye on? Uh, I think a couple that that jumped out were Richards, were Reggie Cannon, and I think Matthew Hoppy to a certain extent, because I think all three of those are players who are 
uncertain in their uh, present situations and what yeah. will happen with them over the course of the season. Uh, Beralter did mention that like calling in Reggie Cannon and Shaq Moore for the Gold Cup. Reggie Cannon was with the Gold Cup squad, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. I think he mentioned in the press conference that those two specifically had then gone back but missed preseason, and so then they hadn't been getting the minutes, and I think he wanted to give Reggie Cannon and Shaq Moore more time with their clubs to just kind of get back into the swing of things. That's why they're not there. I think Matthew Hoppy was uncertainty about if he's going to stay with Schalke in the Zwei Bundesliga or if there will be a move and if so, where, and you want to be able to make sure that deal gets done. So I think that's why a couple of those names aren't on, on the roster. The Matt Miazga one is the other one that I still don't mm. really have a good explanation for. That might be the main one I don't have an explanation for. I just don't think Baralta rates Miazga as highly really? as he rates some of these other center backs. Yeah, I mean, he's gotten plenty of minutes under Baralta over the last few years, but at least I'm not taking him over Miles Robinson or James Sands or Walker Zimmerman. Mark McKenzie is a guy I'm, I'm not quite as high on as some of those other players, but I think I'd even take Mark McKenzie over Matt Miazga right now. I think it's just a case of, like, like this one and Eric Williamson. Both are players for yeah. me that probably just missed the cut because Beralter play, rates those players a little bit differently and, and certainly differently than some folks out there rate them. I I expected to disagree with you, but when you kind of run through them, like, yeah, Miles Robinson showed what he can do in the Gold Cup. Yeah. And I think the yeah. Robinson, I have Robinson and Brooks starting if we're going with a back two. Yeah. Uh, if we're like adding in a third option, maybe it's Ream, maybe it's McKenzie, who knows? But then, yeah, we already talked about James Sands and Walker Zimmerman, and Zimmerman really impressed in the Gold Cup until he has to go out with injury. But I think if he had been there, he's starting every single game. James Sands, for the reasons you mentioned, Joe. So, yeah, strangely enough, maybe it's Miazga versus Ream, and then we get back to the kind of leadership and familiarity aspect of things. And it's odd to think of Matt Miazga ready to go, having moved, but not being in the squad. But I also think that if things don't go well, if somebody just shows that they're not quite ready for it, I won't be surprised to see Matt Miazga back in World Cup qualifying next month, I think it is, when we (laughs) return for more qualifying games. Uh, So I think those are the primary omissions. I'm sure there are more that we did not mention, Joe, but we should also do our best to answer some of the many questions we had come in. Anything else you wanted to talk about about the roster in a general sense? I don't think so. Let's tackle some questions. Then one from David Gass. I think think I've heard of him before. Uh, Do you (laughs) think Greg Berhalter will go five at the back at any point this window? And how much would you use Adams? I think he absolutely will. I think that will be a a pretty consistent look for them, either starting in a back three or maybe we see that one of the fullbacks becomes the center back or maybe it is the number six dropping in, depending on who's starting at number six. But I think we will definitely see... Uh, a back five slash back three, because I also think he's going to want to be attacking and be on the front foot. And to some extent, I think having that back three allows you to kind of cover the middle more. You've got those three there and you can commit more numbers further forward and you can get numbers central, but then still have your wingers out wide. So I think it gives him a variety of looks that he might want. Agreed. Yeah, I'm, I'm almost certain we'll see the back three based off of the personnel and based off of what Baralter's done or back three, back five over the last couple of months. As far as the Adams question, Taylor, I, I think I think you use him as much as you can. This this appears to be one of those rare times in Tyler Adams, albeit young career, where he's healthy and, and fully fit and ready to go. And why not take advantage of that, right? Obviously, you want to be responsible with him and his fitness and you don't want to run him into the ground. But I think you start him in at least two of these games and, and maybe try to manage his minutes in that third one or, or start him and then bring him off if you can. But you have the comfort of having Acosta behind Adams. 
Use that when you need to, but I don't see a reason why you wouldn't use Adams a lot over this three-game window. Because, yeah, when you look at it, the, like I think if the El Salvador game and the Canada game were swapped, maybe that's where you would sit Tyler Adams, is El mm. Salvador away. Uh, no disrespect to them, but of the three we're playing, I think they would be the one where you can expect to have more of the ball El Salvador are probably going to sit and try to frustrate. Uh, plus, Christian Roldan is going to be playing against his brother. So maybe you let him start that one. But because <laughs> El Salvador is first, I can't see Tyler Adams not starting the first game of qualifying. Canada at home then becomes a, 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 a tougher ask and one that I don't think Tyler Adams can sit out of either. And then you've got Honduras away, which has historically been a difficult game. So I think all three of these games have different reasons for why they all could use Tyler Adams. I am I am with you, Joe. I think we use him as much as we possibly can. Don't run him into the ground and maybe when we're up 3-0 or something like that, if we ever get up 3-0, then you sub him off and give him a rest. But for the most part, I want Tyler Adams starting if he can. Here, here. Uh, from Sean Hardgrove, uh, Joe, what potential center back combo, two or three, <laughs> whichever one you want, makes Joe Lowry the most giddy? Oh, I love this. I was hoping I, you were in charge of the questions. I was really hoping that you were going to pick this one. Sean, I thank sure you for asking it. John Brooks has got to be in there, e- e- whether it's a back two or a back mm-hmm. three in terms of the number of center backs. Miles Robinson as well. And then I'm going to go with James Sands. And he's the flex really? guy. If it's a three, I really like the idea of having him in the middle of that back three. I know he didn't perform as well against Qatar and against Mexico in the Gold Cup semifinal and final. But I think he fits that role really well. He gives you some some variance in possession. He can cover some ground and win those battles and is just clean on the ball, cleaner than I think a lot of us expected him to be a couple of years ago. So having Brooks on the left, Sands in the middle if it is a back three, and then certainly Miles Robinson on that right side. What what was he bad on, or what were his deficiencies in those games? Again, like I also have the goldfish memory situation. Yeah. And we did watch <laughs> about a thousand games this summer, so I'm not going to judge us too harshly. But uh, what what were the the knocks against him, as you recall? I recall him struggling a little bit more defensively than he had mm-hmm. earlier on in that tournament, losing a couple of uh, a couple more fifty fifty battles, not quite covering the level of ground, at least in comparison to Miles Robinson, that the U.S. needed in some of those games, and just generally looking a little unsure of himself, especially in that final against Mexico. So those are those are all things that you can expect, somewhat of someone getting his first stretch of games with the U.S. men's national team. I still think he's a very good player and has a very bright future, and he is most suited, he's best suited to play that center-center back role. So if we see him start one, two, three, or none of these games, I won't necessarily be surprised, but I think he's ready to be involved. Uh, we asked the Kevin Smith question about rotation. Let's go to Drew Samuels, the Extra Time Radio guys. I think, says Drew, suggested Yedlin's key role is for the Canada game, since he is one of the few people in the region who can run with Davies. Mm-hmm. Are there other guys who are there to be used in unique and specific ways, roles, or situations. First off, Joe, do you buy into that idea that Yedlin is there to uh, nullify Davies' speed? Uh, maybe. I, I don't know that it would be that specific or that granular, I agree with your hesitation. Right? It's, <laughs> yeah. it's possible. It's totally possible. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. there's some logic in that. I'm not as confident with Yedlin or Des really as, as 1v1 defenders, especially against Alfonso Davies. But the last time, uh, or not the last time the U.S. played Canada, but Dest has gone up against Davies before, back in Nations League a couple years ago, and actually did fine. And I'm not taking Dest in that 1v1, and I'm not feeling too good about that. But still, it's been done before, so I'm not sure that Yedlin is only here to do that one job. I think he's brought in to be a veteran presence. He's been in World Cup qualifiers before, and there is some intangible value, at least for us, in that regard. Uh, I don't know, Taylor, are you in on the the Yedlin-Davies theory? Not really, because I don't don't think... 
we haven't really heard Burhalter talk about that, at least, about the individual matchup game planning. And when you have three games of, of qualifying here, to bring in a player to like primarily deal with one player on the opposition, I don't necessarily think that's what Drew is saying, and I don't think it's just that one thing about like, all right, you've marked Alfonso Davies, he subbed off, so now you're off, and that's it. But <laughs> I, I also I think that would be almost too limiting. I think DeAndre Edlin is there because DeAndre Edlin is there. He isn't getting minutes for Galatasaray right now, and hopefully that changes. But I think if you're not going to call in Cannon, if you're not going to call in Shaq Moore because you want to give them time to get sort of reacclimated with their clubs, you've brought Dest in. I mean, the other options would be who? Nick Lima? Like, yeah. Like, I mean, th- there are certainly <laughs> other right backs who could do that job, but then you're sort of looking at, like, who else has he called in and who might be able to do it, whereas I think with DeAndre Edlin, he's been there. He starts he starts the Nations League final. Like, I think he's done enough for Greg Berhalter to trust him to do multiple different assignments. Is one of them marking Alfonso Davies? Probably, uh, because that would be his side, and Yedlin does have that pace, so maybe it allows you to do something differently than you would otherwise be able to do if Tim Ream were starting it right back. I don't think you want to let that foot race happen. Again, I think there's some logic behind that idea. I'd be shocked if it was the sole reason. A couple other players, though, I think have specific uh, specific roles on this roster. Sands, we've kind of talked about it already. That flex center center back can step forward into midfield, and we saw him do that in the Gold Cup. But really here to be that pivot in the back line who can also deputize at the six. Uh, Jordan Pifak is another guy who I think has a specific role, and I kind of mentioned it already. I see him as the, oh, crap, we're losing or or things are still even. We need someone to go in and be a bigger body than Josh Sargent, bring the ball down and put it in the back of the net. That's what he did against Honduras in the Nations League, scoring that winner late in the game and that one nothing win over Honduras in the semifinal. I think he fits that role really well. So he's he's certainly another guy that I think fits into that category. Joe, that oh crap was so organic that for a minute I thought you were actually just saying it. Like I was about to be like, what happened? What's wrong? Are you okay? But I'm, I'm glad I'm it good. was I'm good, instead theatrical. Well done, Yes, Joe. it was. Thank uh, you. I try. Question from Esteban. I think we've already answered it. Uh, has Matt Turner played himself into the starting job? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, we'll see because I, I would say yes. I feel like we both feel confident from what we've seen of him. Club level, national team level. And it's just been a while since we saw Zach Steffen. I think if Steffen is starting, we can... Assume it's not just favoritism, it's not just Berhalter being stuck in his ways, is that they came into camp and Stefan stood out. But right now, I think if we're playing a game tomorrow, my assumption would be that we're starting Matt Turner. Yeah, I mean, that is my personal hope. I have no idea what Berhalter will do, but mm. uh, I'm hoping he's seen the light in the shot-stopping metrics. <laughs> uh, another question, this one from Faux Dr. Joe on Twitter, who only writes in caps. So, Joe, I'm going to read it in caps. Oh, boy. I'm curious. Conrad De La Fuente has been playing wet wing back for his club. Any chance Greg uses him there if we go three in the back? There were like nine <laughs> Gregs on that one. Uh, Joe, what do you think? Is there any chance we see Conrad De La Fuente as a wing back if Berhalter goes with a back three slash back five? I think if Serginho Dest, Anthony Robinson, and George Bello all have some sort of ankle issue, yes. Yep. I don't I don't think it's likely. He's this is one of those times where experimenting is probably not the right thing to do. And can Conrad do that job? Yes, we've seen him do it. Everybody can do that job on a theoretical level. I don't think Berhalter would throw him into that spot. In the past, we've seen him used as one of those wingers at the national team level. And while his club role has changed, I don't think this is the time to actually institute that change on the international level. 
Yeah, I think this, I hope this makes sense. I will explain it in more depth. But like, if it's the time to experiment, then I think it could happen. But if we're not in a position where we can experiment, then I don't think it will. So if we're up 2-0 in the 65th minute, yeah, I think maybe he'll like, he, I could see him being like, I want to give this guy a rest. Bello maybe isn't quite ready for it. Yeah, let's see what Conrad can do there. But I think that's only if the game feels pretty safe. You're not really going to want to roll the dice on a thing that you haven't done previously in a game that is hotly contested so that scenario aside i do have conrad de la fuente as more of a conventional winger attacker because i i also think we didn't have a ton of depth there in the gold cup we know that it's why matthew hoppy was starting as a left winger and christian roldan was starting as a right winger uh i we certainly have more depth this time but i still think where we might see experimentation is just are those out and out wingers are they doing the matthew hoppy thing of starting high but then dropping into midfield and almost being another central midfielder same thing roldan did and will we continue to see that will they be wingers will they be more like support strikers in a 3-4-2-1 i think that's where we'll see a, a little bit more experimentation rather than the out and out position swap and just one more note for me on Conrad. I actually would really like to see him transition into being a wing back at the national team level or, or to just playing a little bit deeper down the field defensively instead of being a winger because there is depth with the full strength group. There is depth out wide, just not in that particular goal cup. Like you're saying, Taylor, I think he's got a higher ceiling, maybe back a bit farther. I just don't think this is the time in most situations that I can envision coming up over the next couple of weeks. I don't think now is the time to start that transition. Yeah, uh, I agree. We have another Conrad de la Fuente question. This one from Isaac Nushbel. Where does Conrad fit into a full strength U.S. team right now? It's a weird one because he wasn't with the group at all this summer, but based on club form has an argument to be in our best 11. I don't think I would go that far when we're talking about the other players who tend to play in those wide positions for the U.S. I don't put him ahead of Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna. I'm not even sure I put him ahead of Brandon Aronson. I think it's more of a conversation once we get to, say, Timothy Weah. Hmm. I have that I have that bottom two flipped a bit. I think Weah is a bit above Aronson on How both my you? depth chart. I think you're and, right. I, I think you're probably Berhalter's. right. But yeah. a Conrad, Conrad, either way, is he's a fringe player on the U.S.'s first strength roster, not the first strength 11th, first strength 11. He's, he's like the fifth guy. He's the fifth winger here. He's someone who Berhalter doesn't have quite as much experience with and I would guess doesn't rate quite as highly right now. But that's not to say that down the line, if, if he plays for Marseille more and continues to play really well for them, which he has largely done, at least in the attack this season, that's not to say he couldn't climb up that depth chart. And and Conrad De La Fuente is a player that I remember being frustrating when he played for the <laughs> yeah. U.S. youth national teams, that it it was a lot of 1v1 take-ons, it was a lot of vertical running, it was a lot of looking to make those sort of darting runs in behind and looking for a long ball that sometimes was delivered and sometimes wasn't, but I, I don't remember him being this sort of difference-making player. And really, it is night and day between then and what he's doing with Marseille. And watching from Marseille, there's much more comfort. He seems to be more comfortable in what he's being asked to do, but also has a lot more freedom, I think, and maybe less pressure on him to try to make the Barca team. And will he be in the Barca team? And will he get minutes? And how do you get minutes? And should he go on loan? I think to have that club situation settled, at least for now, at least for the kind of short, medium term... I think he's able to then just focus on developing and adding different skill sets to his game and refining other skill sets and like rejecting other ones he doesn't need outright. And I think we're seeing a more polished, 
confident Conrad De La Fuente than we've ever seen, which has him higher in my estimations than he's ever been. But I don't put him ahead of people who I think have been more consistent and more proven in the past. Agreed. Yeah, I totally agree with everything you just said, Taylor. There we go. Uh, let's see. Uh, Gibby TV. Uh, do we know how cap tying works? If Pepe starts all three games in this window, is he cap tied to the U.S.? Answered that one earlier, but no, he is not, but he kind of is because again, it would require, I believe, a three year wait before the one time switch could be authorized. So if he played these three games and then decided, never mind, I want to play for Mexico, that would not be happening for three more years. So. I feel pretty confident that Ricardo Pepe is with the U.S. Uh, now and forever. Taylor, every day that passes, I grow more and more thankful for that Soccer 101 episode you recorded <laughs> after you. those new FIFA regulations <laughs> dropped about cap tying. Uh, I feel like I need to listen to that on a weekly basis. And I'd certainly recommend that folks out there listen to that episode as well. Just scroll down a little bit in that 101 feed. There is lots of good nuggets. And I believe this one. I haven't listened to it yet this week. I, I'm, I'm not uh, keeping up with my schedule. Mm-hmm. But I That's believe fair. that this nugget's in there, too. Yeah, and and I want to emphasize, like Adam Snavely uh, retweeted a quote from Pepe talking about how he will just he will always be Mexican American, he will always be Mexican yeah. American, and I, and I just want to say once again, we said this before on the show, Joe, that if he had chosen to play for Mexico, I would be really sad. I've watched Ricardo Pepe play for like literally years now, back when North Texas were coming to Richmond, and he was. I, I think like an eight year old, but destroying full grown <laughs> men. Uh, like I've been really excited for what could happen. And I remember even then saying to like my wife and in-laws, like this guy could play for the national team someday. Keep an eye on him. And here we are. And if he had chosen to play for Mexico, I'd be really, really sad, but I would understand because, or at least I would try to understand because I am not a dual national. Not that I was ever mm. going to play for the U.S. national team, but I, I don't have that background and he does. So I would never begrudge somebody for going with their heart or going with their gut or going with what makes them feel more connected to their ancestors or their lineage or their family or whatever it might be. I'm really happy that Ricardo Pepe has chosen to play for the U.S., but I just want to say again that that's just such a hard decision I imagine to make that I think we can often – forget about because we're just so focused on who's going to make us win the World Cup, who's going to help us get there. Uh, We want the best team possible, and we can forget that they're humans while we focus on who's going to score the goals. Yeah, Taylor, I love that. And it's so important to be reminded of that. And and for you and I, people who are white Americans, to like yeah. learn more about what and try to empathize with these people, right? Pepe's talking about how he growing up in El Paso, he'd go back and forth across the border to Mexico to see his family and friends every single week, right? That's not an experience that I have. That's not really something I can relate to. But it's something that Pepe has had and something that those are experiences that he has lived. And so, yeah, choosing the U.S. or choosing Mexico doesn't make him any less Mexican-American. It mm-hmm. just means he's playing for the U.S. men's national team, which yeah, for those of us that watch the U.S. men's national team means uh, we have some fun coming up. So, Joe, let's we've got a bunch of questions about Ricardo Pepe, and I feel like you are <laughs> in a much better place than I to answer them because I will just talk about what he did at City Stadium like six years ago. Uh, one from Bill Jarrett. How excited on a scale of one to ten should we be about Ricardo Pepe? Nine. Nine. I mean, he's he's young. He's raw. He's 18 yep. years old. But this is a position that we've talked about over and over and over again. This number nine spot, the U.S. needs more talent. They need more depth in it. And they just need higher end players in it. And right now, like I said before, I'm not sure Pepe is a player for right now, right in this window. But his ceiling is probably higher than any other nine in the pool right now, and that includes Josh Sargent. There's a lot that can change. There's a lot of development that can or cannot happen, that will or will not happen. We don't know yet. 
But man, he has a lot of the tools in his toolbox. He moves really well in the box. He's got the physical attributes. He's tall and, and has the potential to really grow into that kind of tall, lanky frame. He's not all the way there yet, but man, he is a really, really good striker prospect. A harder question, Joe, that I don't have an immediate answer to comes from Brendan Cosgrove. When was the last time we had a Mexican-American prospect this highly rated in the senior team? Brendan Mm. suggests uh, Jose Gringo Torres. That seems like a solid shout. I'm running through the other possibilities, like Ventura Alvarado, I think, was in that conversation, but didn't really justify much more hype than he got. Are there any other names that you can think? I mean, Jonathan Gonzalez would be the one, but we didn't end up pulling him in, so that doesn't really count. Yeah, I mean, as far as players who have played for the U.S. men's national team Mm -hmm. and and chosen to play for this group, I'm not sure there is one, really, at least certainly not in the recent past. Ochoa, David Ochoa, who's now going to play for Mexico, and, uh, and Jonathan Gonzalez were the two that actually came to mind for me as being the two biggest name players that could have gone either way and Pepe being the third. And I think Pepe is really the first guy to have chosen to play for the U.S. that I think is at this level of quality, is this good in a long time, if not ever. What what would you say, like, what is the scenario in which Burhalter looks to the bench and thinks Ricardo Pepe is the person I need right now? Like, what are his best skill sets that Burhalter would rely upon if he's just going for, like, these are the three things he does the best that's what I'm going to use him for right now. I think if Peralta is just getting really upset with Josh Sargent's lack of movement in the box, mm-hmm. right? Because that's something that I think even Berhalter's talked about, Sargent needing to be more active in the penalty box. Berhalter always calls it the penalty box. Never the 18, never just the box. He always calls it the penalty box for some reason. But I think, I think that's something that Pepe does really well is move off the ball, find those little gaps. And if those gaps aren't there, move defenders around with his movement to then cut into those gaps. So if Berhalter's looking into this team and seeing Josh Sargent not quite be as active moving and creating those spots, it's quite possible that Pepe does enter the game at that point. If Berhalter's not quite ready to throw Peefock on or doesn't think it's the right game for Jordan Peefock to be a part of, there's, there is a non-zero chance that Pepe could factor in off the bench or, or if Sargent's just not having a good window. There is a real chance, albeit I think it's a slight one, that Pepe could get a run out in one of those games. All right, Joe, we've got a couple more questions. One uh, more direct that we can get to uh, from Roberto. Are we still at a maximum of three subs for these games? I know you did a little bit of digging. We're not going to promise with 100% authority because <laughs> things might change between now and then. But Joe, what have you found out? Yeah, so I couldn't find a hard and fast answer from CONCACAF, but I do know, and this is online, you guys can go find it to to fact check my sources, not that you need to, but FIFA extended the option for people and confederations who are putting on competitions to have that five sub rule. They extended that all the way through 2022. So we could see it at the World Cup. We don't know for sure yet, I don't think. And we could see it in World Cup qualification, not just in CONCACAF, but in other confederations as well. So I don't I don't know why CONCACAF wouldn't continue that five sub rule. I think it makes sense given still the situations with COVID and, and fixture congestion across the world. But I do not believe that they have announced that particular rule, at least not to the public. And then the final question, this one is just for me, Joe. Uh, what we have, We've talked a lot about the strengths. We've talked a lot about why the roster makes sense and why some of the omissions are also fairly logical. But what makes you concerned? What are the areas that you're sort of still have some doubts about or will be nervous about if things go a certain way or if somebody gets injured? What makes you stay up at night anxious about World Cup qualifying? <laughs> 
I'm concerned about the fullbacks a little bit. I, I'm not entirely confident in George Bello or Anthony Robinson on the left. I'm not exactly sure what happens if Dest moves over to that side and then it's Yedlin and Dest starting. Also, Dest hasn't been super great for the national team in his last couple of appearances, certainly in Nations League. So I do have real questions there. I have a little bit of of a question around some of the center back depth. I know there's a lot of quality players, but I'm not sure if the top end talent is quite there in that particular group. Like if John Brooks goes down... I'm, I am a little bit concerned about Tim Ream starting because I do think he would be the next guy behind Brooks at that left center back spot. So there, I, I have those couple of questions in the back. I still have questions about the number nine spot. I, I know yep. we talked about Pepe and, and Sargent has just come off of scoring a couple of goals earlier this week in the EFL Cup. But like none of that stuff is is fully convincing to me at this moment. So in the back and up front at that nine spot, I think those are my real questionable problem areas. Uh, Matt Doyle, uh, like quote tweeted, I think a tweet he put out about his potential, like starting 11 for World Cup qualifying. This was like in September of 2020 or November of 2020. And it had Josh Sargent starting as that number nine. He got a lot of them right. I think he got pretty much everybody right. But that one Don't stands out to that. me. Oh, oh. <laughs> well, the reason why I mentioned that is to say that like a lot of the other positions I feel like have been earned or are people that we've seen play there and we, and they have sort of, played themselves into that is their spot, that is their role, that is why we can expect them to start there. Sargent, for reasons that we've already talked about with Daryl DK having sort of a a poor gold cup, uh, a a not like a prolific goal scoring gold cup, uh, like we we don't have the options that we have. And so almost Josh Sargent is the starting number nine for me for these three games. But that's not because he's come in and proved that that is his position, that it is him starting there no matter what. It's sort of like, yeah, he's the best of the options we have. I hope it works out. And I think that is the biggest question mark I have is who scores the goals and who makes that that spot their own. Who is the one coming out of these three games that we think, okay, we know for sure that person is going to be on the roster next time or those people are. I I, I have, like, not even concerns. I just, I want to see whoever starts in, in at the number nine spot in whichever game, I want to see them prove that they should be, prove that they can handle it, prove that they can do all the different assignments. That is probably the biggest question mark I have about this roster. The one thing I will say in, in Josh Sargent's not, not defense because we're not ripping him apart here or anything, but I actually, I really hope he starts against Canada because of these three teams and, and maybe against El Salvador as well. I think he'll start all of these games, but I want to see him start against teams that are actually going to use the ball in, in, in games where the U.S. can have a chance to high press. Because that that was a weapon in a lot of ways against Mexico in the Gold Cup final. It was a weapon at times in the Nations League final as well against Mexico, even though the U.S. didn't quite commit as hard to the high press in that particular iteration of the rivalry. It's that the high press and pressing in general is something that Sargent does really, really well. We saw it at Werder Bremen. I think we will see it at times with Norwich this season when they are able to step forward, maybe in a cup competition, less so in the league. But Sargent's got such a high work rate. He he moves really quickly and he can accelerate and he can close down passing angles. I think that's the best part of his game. And so we could see if the stars align and, and we get an opportunity to see Sargent start against Canada specifically and maybe against El Salvador, who I think will play at least some, not as much as Canada. I want to see Sargent play and I want to see him get on the end of chances that maybe even are, are chances that he's created with his own defensive pressure. I think a game like the Canada game or, or at some point against Mexico throughout this World Cup qualifying cycle, that could be a chance for Sargent to really shine. All right. And then my last little just like, 
lingering concern is that center of midfield because there's Tyler Adams, but we never know how fit he is, if he'll be able to play all three games. There's Weston McKinney, who at time of recording, the future is uncertain. There was the like the public statement last night that Juve were frustrated with his behavior and his dietary habits. And I don't think that impacts him for this camp. But I, I, I think I'm just highlighting that there are questions around some of these players that could potentially impact them. But the larger point for me would be like, we, I haven't watched Luca De La Torre this season. We watched him a decent amount last year when we were doing Americans Abroad. We don't have Yunus Musa, and I think if he were fully fit and ready to go, he is probably on this squad. And so I do hope that we'll be fine in midfield, but I will say that if things aren't combining well through there, I think that's a big problem and maybe one that, like, with hindsight, we'll look back and say, yeah, that was a bigger concern than we thought it was. Maybe that's just like Olympic qualifying lingering in my head, the ghost of Olympic <laughs> qualifying and not having enough midfield creativity. But I, I, I go back to I, I don't think this team is built around the central midfielders creating a ton of opportunities and being really good and they're attacking through balls to set up goals. I think they're there to do a lot of things that then allow other people to create goal-scoring chances. Weston McKinney can certainly hit a ball, but I think that's the only kind of tiny concern I have with the center of midfield. No, and that's a fair one. I mean, there are there are fair little criticisms across this roster, but I, I'm just excited. I'm really excited to see the winger core actually play, and hopefully, regardless of whether Christian Pulisic is involved in, in one, two, or three of these games, or, or none of them, I'm excited to see those guys hopefully create and do some of the heavy lifting. That's probably the one position group that I'm not entirely scared about, and, and goalkeeper as well. There are these little areas that we can nitpick, but man, I just circle back to kind of what we started with. This is a pretty strong roster. This roster should be strong enough to get results that the U.S. needs to get over these first three games in World Cup qualifying. And I'm I'm just stoked to get to watch these games and talk about them. Joe, I'm right there with you, my friend. Uh, so we've got oh, yeah. El Salvador Thursday, September 2nd at 10 p.m. Super helpful. Uh, then uh, USA-Canada <laughs> Sunday, September 5th, 8 p.m. That was more manageable. And then rounding it out, Honduras-USA September 8th, Wednesday at 10.05 p.m. again. <laughs> Joe, I, I don't know what our exact plan will be for these games for next week. It might be that we do the full review, which means rewatching, but more likely is that we'll do quick take hot take for each one, maybe then watch and then maybe record in the morning, the USA-Canada game being the outlier. But maybe we can also try to make sure that we at least do some version of a preview for El Salvador USA uh, before that game kicks off. Does that work for you for next week? I am up for it, Taylor. I can't wait. In fact, maybe that should be our... We can do a hybrid Americans Abroad recap and then also El Salvador preview. There we go. Like those two things could go together. All right. Well, then, I'm even more excited now that we have a plan for World Cup qualifying. I'm excited for this roster. I'm excited to get things off on a solid start. And I fully expect us to qualify. I f well, I guess at least I fully hope that we do. I'm optimistic <laughs> that we will. Hopefully that optimism endures after that first game. Joe, anything else that we should talk about before we call this one quits? I don't think so, Taylor. I think All we right. covered it, man. We have analyze the roster we've talked it out we've answered some questions we've talked about omissions we've talked about who's there all that remains to say is joe lowry thank you so much for taking all the time to talk to me about this roster you got it taylor thanks for having me listeners thank you all so much for joining us we will talk to you all again very soon 